The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. <laughs> you and your household. <laughs> then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release his men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Welcome to Acts, our verse-by-verse -verse journey through this book that is a story of the continuation of the ministry of Jesus, known as the fifth gospel. Jesus is present in chapter 1, then he ascends to heaven. Chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. He makes an appearance uh, to Paul as well as to Stephen in the book, but primarily this is him working through his people, continuing the mission that he began in establishing his church, expressed in congregations in the earth. In our story today, Paul and Silas were sent out on a missionary journey into Turkey, and then on that journey, the Lord sent them into Europe and they're establishing a church here in Philippi, and while there, they get thrown in prison, stripped of their clothes, beaten, and then thrown in the inner cell of prison, which was a no-no for Romans to be treated like that. Um, an earthquake happened in the middle of the night, sets everyone free, yet no one leaves. The jailer's about to kill himself because he's in big trouble if he loses any prisoners, a miracle of all miracles, even though there was a miraculous earthquake and a miraculous loosing of everyone's chains, no one left, even a greater miracle. And 
Paul tells him, don't do yourself any harm. The guy gets some light, runs in, and falls down in front of Paul and Silas. In verse 30 of Acts 16, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. What a wonderful truth that is ours to enjoy. But do not take that truth out of context. People are, people are living in deception because they believe Jesus existed, and therefore their children and themselves are going to heaven. Read the rest of the paragraph. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. So they told him, believe in Jesus. Then they preached the gospel, told him what it means. What do you, what do you believe when you believe in Jesus? What does that mean? And then the response was, now that they believe in Jesus, he gives them medical attention, washes their stripes, and then the jailer and his whole family are baptized in response because they were believers. Verse 30, then he brought them home to his house and fed them. And he rejoiced, last part of verse 34, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates, that is the Romans' authorities, sent the officers saying, let those men go. You know, our who knows what other damage to the town this earthquake did? You know, man, let's get those guys out of Dodge. Let's get them out of here. The keeper of the prison reported the good news to Paul. Hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart, go in peace. But Paul said to them, they had beaten us openly, took our clothes off, ripped them up, uncondemned, that is, we weren't given a, a courtroom to defend ourselves, unconvicted, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. They've abused us. And now they did all that publicly. Now they want to put us out privately? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. The officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Uh-oh. My bad. We should have checked their passports. Now they came and pleaded with them, please, and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Please don't sue us. Please don't press charges. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. I'd like to speak for a minute on the Roman citizenship. Uh, Roman citizens possessed rights and privileges that the rest of the people in the Roman Empire did not necessarily have. Very few people born outside of, out of Italy had Roman citizenship, but as God would have it, Paul was one of them, and Paul, Silas apparently also had citizenship. Roman citizens were entitled to a trial before any form of punishment could be inflicted upon them. Roman citizens couldn't be punished in a way that brought public humiliation upon them because they represented the empire. Roman citizens were never allowed to be beaten with rods, which had happened to them. Yet those magistrates had stripped them, publicly humiliated them, beaten them with rods, and imprisoned them without a trial of any kind. So now Paul brings it up. 
He brings up his Roman citizenship in Acts 22 when they were about to beat him. He said, are you going to flog a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? I guess he thought, you know, I need to bring this up earlier. (laughs) Could have saved myself a beating back in chapter 16. Uh, The Roman tribune was afraid when he found out that he was a citizen because he'd put him in chains without a trial. And he said, I had to pay a large sum of money for my Roman citizenship. And Paul told him, Acts 22, 28, I was born a Roman citizen. How was this Jewish guy born in Tarsus as a Roman citizen? How did this happen? I've done some digging, and I don't know how it happened. But something happened with his forefathers. If your dad was a Roman citizen and you were born uh, to a father who was a Roman citizen, then you were automatically a Roman citizen. So how were his forefathers made Roman citizens? I'm not sure. How did Silas get it? I'm not sure. All I know is about Paul. He was from Tarsus, part of the world, southern Turkey a part of the world where Jews were hauled by the hundreds after the conquest of Antiochus Epiphanes. He trashed Israel and made captives of the people and took a lot of them into a city he wanted to inhabit, fattened up the population there with large numbers of of Jewish people, hauled them from Judea. Obviously, he didn't haul them, but he made them walk up into Tarshish, hundreds of miles from home, and they had to resettle there, exile, which... The prophets and the law had warned them, if you're not true to to God, you will be hauled off as captives and made to live in other lands. So this unfortunate event, this setback, as it were, set Paul up later to become a Roman citizen. I do know under the reign of Antony, remember Antony and Cleopatra? Uh, The city of Tarsus remained loyal to Antony when they could have not done so, and Antony blessed them with freedom. They were a free city. They did not have to pay taxes to the empire. If Paul had been born in Judea, he would have to be uh, taxed to be part of the empire. But the citizens of Tarsus, a tax-free zone, a duty-free zone, as it were, where he was from. He's blessed with that, and he was blessed as a Roman citizen. So what was a setback, that is the exile of his forefathers, became a setup for Paul for his future when he came into the world as a Roman citizen. And he was able to use that citizenship to spare himself pain, but he didn't do it to save his own hide. I mean, he didn't do it here in Acts 16, right? But he used it to gain favor. He used it for the sake of the church. And the church in Philippi did get off the ground. In fact, they received one of Paul's letters. The book of Philippians in your Bible was written to this very congregation whose roots go all the way back to the conversion of Lydia and other people, this earthquake and the conversion of the jailer and his household. And who knows what lives of the prisoners were impacted by this incredible event that happened. So part of what helped them get established, no doubt, was the backing off of persecution that they had received through this miraculous earthquake, but also through Paul using his Roman citizenship. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us in such a way that we would see life from your perspective and live accordingly 
in victory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read you a statement, and then we'll give the title of our application time. Often in our efforts to continue the ministry of Jesus, it's what the Christian life's about, isn't it? We will face strong opposition and even painful things that can set us back in some horrible way. Some things that will never make sense happen to us sometimes. But with God at work, he can use such unfortunate things to further his kingdom purposes in our lives. He can turn a trial into a triumph, can he? A test into a testimony. A mess into a message. I could speak to you today on the subject from setback to set up. Some of your life's setbacks are actually set up. Do you ever feel like you've been set up? For something great. So rather than cursing your past and seeing nothing good and wishing you were born into a different family, to a different time in history, to a different country, to a different people, recognize your setbacks are setups for God's purposes to be done in the earth. In spite of opposition, God's will shall always, can we say always, always be done. Always. In um, Isaiah 46, 9, God says through the prophet, remember the former things of old, going way back in history, for I am God and there is none else. I am the great I am, God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. So at the very beginning, God declares where he's heading. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Romans 4 says that God calls those things which be not as though they were. Jesus, from the foundation of the world, as the word of God, was called the Lamb of God. He was crucified from the foundation of the world, predestined, but God calls those things which be not as though they already were. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, as though they are done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So even if it's calling birds or wicked people to do his will, God's will shall always be done. Ultimately, hold on. You may not see his will being done today, but his will is going to be done in spite of the opposition. There's a verse in Proverbs, in Proverbs that says, God made everything for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom. If nothing else, they're his firewood. Life's delays are not necessarily God's denials. 
you have an expectation, something good that's going to happen, and then it gets delayed. And you think, oh, it must not be the will of God. Not necessarily. Sometimes we expect things that are not God's will. We ask amiss. We pray our own will and not his will, not in alignment with the word. But not always, in every occasion, is a delay the same thing as a denial. Remember Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, in Mark 4, and I think in Luke 8, he approaches Jesus. Hey, Jesus, he just got out of the boat. He'd come from Decapolis, sailed back across Galilee, got out of the boat, surrounded by people with needs. Jesus, my daughter, is ill. That's a setback. When your children are sick, it's a setback, isn't it? My daughter is ill. Jesus said, I'll come and heal her. But he's surrounded by needs. There's the woman with the issue of blood that has to be healed. There's people that need to be touched. There's uh, truth to be proclaimed. And it's not long till Jairus' servants or neighbors, friends, come and say, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. So first is a setback of a sick child. Now there's an even bigger setback of the child dying. You know, Lord, if, like, they, like uh, Lazarus' sisters, Lord, if you had come, my brother would not have died. Lazarus was sick, and Jesus was sent to come heal him. Four days later, he shows up, and he's already dead. Same thing here with Jairus. The setback became a further setback. And yet in both occasions, Jesus raised the dead. The setbacks were setups to reveal a greater miracle. Remember Elijah uh, challenged the prophets of Baal to see which God would call down fire from heaven? And when it was his turn, he not only laid out the sacrifices for God to consume with fire, he dug trenches around the sacrifices and filled the trenches with water and soaked the sacrifices with water. He did a setup for a bigger miracle so that when the fire God came, not only consumed the sacrifice, it consumed all the water. Back to the subject. Delays are not necessarily denials. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things, and would somebody say everything? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What is that good? God's purpose. And what is his purpose? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. We're going to be made more like Jesus through life. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is developing his likeness in you. And even if there's opposition in your life that would reject that from happening, God will just use it turn it into firewood or whatever he wants to do. And sometimes that opposition is a delay to develop our faith. Remember the story of Joseph? He had a dream. He's going to be a leader. Boy, talk about delay. He went from a precious goat coat into a pit sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar, sold out by his wife to a prison. 
sold out by people that he ministered to to be forgotten. Delay after delay after delay. From the pit to the prison to the palace, he was getting set up. The setbacks were setups for his comeback as prime minister. Hello, I'm back. <laughs> you re- I wonder if he had a tailor make him another coat. I don't know. I have to see the musical to see. Our disappointments can become God's reappointments. Maybe you've experienced abandonment. Maybe your spouse ran off and left you. The life you had, the plans you made are over, right? Not for you. You're getting set up for a comeback. Hello, I'm back. This is a parallel passage in my heart to Romans 8.28. It's Ephesians 1.11. In him, in Christ, also we have obtained, have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to our good works? No. According to the purpose of him who works all things. There's everything again. He works it all according to the counsel of his will. God's biggest enemies are working for him. They just don't know it. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We're being conformed to an image that brings glory to the Lord. So whether it's opposition or it's delays or it's disappointment, God's will is going to be done. You are going to be like Jesus, and you may be getting reappointed, but you're going to like it. Just don't get ahead of him. But even then, there's such security in God's hand. Even if you make a mess, you will learn not to touch that hot stove. Hello? With God at work, our setbacks may often become setups. To this very church in Philippi, where this incredible setback, having your clothes ripped off, not being given a trial, being beaten with, with illegal rods, thrown into prison with the bats, the rats, and the smells, thrown in the dungeon, your feet made fast and stocked as if you were going to go anywhere. Talk about injustice. Talk about a setback. And yet it was a setup for God to show his mighty hand. To that very church, Paul wrote, So then, my beloved, even as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence? And I'm telling you, truth here, and you're applying it to your life, and it really blesses me that you're doing it when I'm not around. But now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. We've all been saved for a purpose. We don't look around and wonder, what about that guy? Remember in the last chapter of John, Jesus told Peter, that he one day would die for him. And Peter turned around and looked at John and said, but what about that guy? And Jesus said, if it's my will that he never dies, what's that to you? You follow me. We all have a unique vision. We need to stop looking at one another to see if anybody else is going to pay the price that you're paying. 
you fulfill what God has called you to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work out what God works in. Now, some people love to quote verse 12, legalistic people, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and you think this is what this, the, the verse is implying. You've got to earn your salvation. By grace are we saved through faith, and that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the undeserved grace of God that saves us. We don't work for salvation. This is what the verse means. God's at work. Work, work out what he's working in. Yield to him. Stop being bitter and get better. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, I need to see that in another translation. Thank you very much. Here's the New Living Translation. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's working in you. Candy Hemphill used to sing a song, He's Still Working on Me. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and faithful he must be because he's still working on me. Oh, God, would you hurry up? If he did, it might be really painful, but he's setting things up. There's other people he's working on, building a masterpiece. So in spite of opposition, God's will shall always be done. Life's delays are not necessarily his denials. Our disappointments can become his reappointments. Don't hang up the phone, just hold on. He's not done. There's a word coming that's gonna make a lot of sense. With God at work, our setbacks may often become Setups. God can take us from the awfulness of sin and lead us into the awesomeness of Him. From the beggarly elements of this world to the beautiful elements of His world. From the crises caused by us and other people to Christ's cause for us and through us for other people. From defeat and despair to dynamic dominion. From the effects of sinful seed sowing to the effects of his mercy sown, now shown in our hearts and lives. He can take us from being set back by being fooled by our flesh to set us up to be formed by his spirit from the gory details of our mistakes to the glorious destiny because of his grace, from the horror of hell to the holiness of heaven, from ignorant blindness to eyes that see what eyes not seen nor ear heard, the things that God has prepared for us. 
From judgments made to justice served, it is finished. From the killing of our potential to the resurrecting of his kindness, raising us up completely. From the love of the world that hurts us to the love of God that heals us. From our messes to his messages. From having no hope and no peace to having new hope and knowing peace. From our old ways of guilty destruction to his one true way of guilt-free restoration. From the payment, from the pain of regret to the payment of redemption. From living in quivering weakness to experiencing quickening power. From being really wrong to being made really righteous. From having a shamed name to receiving his new name the name of the one who bore our shame. From the test that we have failed to the testimonies we have to tell. From an ugly past to an ultimate future. From victimization to victorious vision. From worry to worship. He leads us to exchange the excrements of wickedness for the excellence of his righteousness. From youthful lusts to yielded trust. From the zoo of sin's consequences to having zeal for Christ and his consciousness. Are you glad for our redemption? Let's say this together to somebody. Let's say this to one another. Your setback is a setup for your comeback. The story's not over. If you have to jump, to the end of the book, jump to the end of the book. We win. The God who calls those things which be not as though they were calls you more than a conqueror. He calls you righteous. Your righteousness has been imputed and it is being worked out of us as he empowers us. And we get to show that to the world. So we are called to continue Christ's ministry but don't be fooled. It's not always easy. If you want the acts of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in circumstances that demand miracles, that demand acts of God, that demand restoration. If all your needs are already met and you have no need, then how will you ever be in a position where you have to have the hand of God? God is calling you to a life of risk, to a life of venture, adventure, to a life where you have the potential of being persecuted, misunderstood, slandered, lied about. But with him, you have assurance of victory. Do you accept the challenge? Today is going to be an awesome day. In a few minutes, we're going to stack the chairs in stacks of five and begin moving in tables and set the, the room up for eating together before we begin to divide up into our various projects. I pray we face no opposition, but if we do, let's anticipate it so that we don't go into shock and create a bad witness where we get in the flesh and say something ugly to somebody. We're out to show the love of God, right? So if somebody won't say Merry Christmas, don't get all bent out of shape. If they say Happy Holidays, be thankful for it. The word holiday is a shortened version of the word holy day. 
Say it back. Happy holy days. These days are holy because we are recognizing the Savior is born. I know it's not about the Grinch. It's not about the elves. It's not about Santa Claus. But any thinking person that celebrates the happy holy days can follow the roots of Christmas. They can do the math. And they all know, even Muslims celebrate Christmas. They love to get tips on Christmas. They do believe in the virgin birth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not have to perish but might have everlasting life. May God give us courage as believers, willing to shine as lights in darkness even though we may face opposition. May we not yield to the flesh and do something that's not a good testimony. But if we do, let's apologize. Ask for forgiveness. And that humility in itself is a burst of light to the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace that is upon us. Help us, Lord, those of us that are experiencing extreme setbacks, to view those disappointing things, those regrettable things, those injustices, to view them as opportunities to see you work on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to pick up our shield of faith and to quench the fiery darts of unbelief and discouragement that would try to get a foothold in our life. Help us, Lord, to stand up like men and women of God with courage, looking forward to how this thing's going to work out. Help us, Lord, not to tune out, but to tune in to your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name. And now, Lord, as we venture into worship, I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to those that really needed this word today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.